I love the intersection of the idea of keeping or buying something based on whether it is useful or beautiful to you. So if something is useful or beautiful, you'll be motivated to take care of it and maintain it and not dispose of it. So that's part of being more sustainable. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the Kamari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified Kamari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. Our guest today is Melissa Rappaport Schiffman. Melissa is founder of Green Intention LLC, where she writes, speaks, and advises clients on healthier and more sustainable homes and workplaces. She has her MBA and MA in public policy from the University of Chicago and lives in Minneapolis with her husband and two daughters. Welcome to Spark Joy, Melissa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's interesting because we have a couple of things in common in my past life when I was working for a big consulting firm. I supported the Department of Energy and all things energy efficiency and high performance building and sustainability. So I'm thrilled to have you on so we can really start to talk about the intersection of organizing and sustainability. But first, I would love for you to tell me a little bit about your journey what kind of drew you in in terms of focusing your career on green living? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. I came into the green building movement from two directions, really both professionally and personally. Professionally, I have a finance background and have a solid grounding in looking at upfront investments that save money over time so they make sense financially. And so many sustainability investments do that. I felt like I could really lend my expertise to help people make more informed decisions that benefit their pocketbook. On the personal side, it's really been about my health and my family's health. I have uh, allergy-induced asthma, and I'm super sensitive to mold and chemicals. So when we had our first daughter, I became pretty obsessed with the impact that our own homes have on our health and well-being. You know, we typically think about food and exercise in terms of what affects our health. But the quality of our water, the quality of our air inside, and the materials that we touch and live among really have a huge impact on our health. Buildings just have a big impact overall on our health and well-being, as well as on the environment. So about 14 years ago, when we had two little girls and we, we were living in a condominium, we decided it was time to buy our first house. And that led me down the path of LEAD certification. So LEAD is an acronym for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. It's a holistic green building rating system that really just lays out best practices for building more sustainably around energy, water, landscape, materials, and health. And so I really wanted to understand what are the costs and benefits of LEAD certifying our own home. So that really got me into... Let's look at our home. Let's look at buildings that businesses are in, you know, nonprofits, their effect, you know, the cost of operating the building, the health of the occupants, and then the overall impact on the planet's resources. It sounds like that for you, much like a lot of people who do home organizing, it started with a personal journey to think about your own health and well-being and that of your family and brought you to to wanting to learn more about 
green building and the sustainable home movement. For our listeners who may not be really familiar with what all of that means, can you break it down into some of the basics? Sure. At its root, it's really a public health issue. People think about, you know, we need to save the planet. Well, the planet will be here, but the planet provides us with clean air and clean water and food. And so if we don't take care of the earth, we don't get to drink, eat, or breathe. And it's sort of like, what is more basic than that? So that's kind of the sustainability piece is making sure that the earth can continue to provide us as humans with, you know, our livelihood. So then the other piece to help simplify it is that if it is on your radar, but you get overwhelmed by it, I always say, start with your own home. You know, it's the one thing you have control over. And you don't need to do everything. I mean, in my book, I lay out a lot of different components where you can plug in. But there isn't really one definition of, well, this is a sustainable home and this is the perfect home and I, you know, I can never get there. It's knowing that every action does make a difference. And so you can plug in where it matters to you and feel good about it. Speaking of your book, Building a Sustainable Home, you provide a framework for this very big idea, as you mentioned, green living, sustainability, super big concepts. So similar to Kunmari really providing that framework around the big concept of organizing a home, you provide a similar place for all this to sit. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that values-based decision-making discussion that you have in the book? And how this really applies to how we build or design or dwell in our space. Sure. Yeah. Um, when we were building our own home, I was reading all of the guidebooks. And the one thing I realized is that the guidebooks are all about you know, what to do and sometimes how to do it. But I like to think more about the why. Why are we doing this? Why go green or why become more sustainable? And I came up with three key reasons for our health our wealth, and our soul. These are things we think a lot about. Is this good for me? Does this make me sick? What's going to cost money? Can I afford this? And then what's meaningful to me? So these are basic values and they became the framework for my book, Building a Sustainable Home, Practical Green Design Choices for Your Health, Wealth, and Soul. So looking at how we design and build and live in our homes presents a great opportunity to match our values with the choices we make. It's like voting with your wallet and you get to live and see those choices every day. Well, that's really interesting, this idea of how it impacts your health, wealth, and soul. And some of the basis of KonMari is thinking in terms of how making a change in the way that you're functioning in your life can really have an impact far beyond just the act of of organizing. Can you talk a little more specifically about the benefits of moving into a more sustainable home environment and some of the top reasons that make health, wealth, and soul, how they're impacted by moving in this direction? Sure. So the basic benefits of a more sustainable home is that it's healthier and it costs less to operate and maintain year after year. So that is the benefit to your health and wealth. But we also need to understand the impact that buildings have. I like to start out a lot of my talks with a question, and I say, raise your hand if you live or work in a building. And of course, we all do. We actually spend about 90% of our time indoors. But the built environment costs a lot to operate and uses a tremendous amount of resources 
For example, buildings use 71% of our electricity, are responsible for 39% of our greenhouse gas emissions, about 65% of our waste, 12% of our water, and buildings also impact our health. The EPA estimates that indoor air quality can be three to five times worse than outdoors. But there's a third benefit I also like to add about, you know, that it will be a healthier home that will save you money. And that is the benefit of comfort. There's a myth that you have to sacrifice beauty and comfort if you want to be more sustainable. And you really don't. A more sustainable home is much more comfortable to live and work in. But I can keep going. So (laughs) the framework is really quite simple. It's three slices of of a pie, health, wealth, and soul. And under each one of them, there are three strategies. So for health, it's clean water, clean air, and clean house. Clean filtered water is essential to our own health for drinking and washing. We use it in coffee, tea, and soups. And using your own water reduces waste by not purchasing and throwing out you know, empty bottles of water. And then clean air. I already mentioned that the EPA says that indoor air quality can be three to five times worse than outdoor. So we need to make sure we don't bring in materials that off-gas harmful chemicals like, you know, using no VOC paints or formaldehyde-free cabinetry. And then looking at how we ventilate and filter our air is really important as well. Then the second slice of the pie for our wealth. And because I'm kind of a numbers geek, my number two goal after having a healthy home was to invest upfront in more sustainable technologies that would lower our operating costs year after year. And the three components here are energy efficiency, water efficiency, and durability. So by investing in things like an example is triple pane windows or a ground source heat pump, those things may cost a little more upfront, but our house costs less to operate year after year. And then there are a lot of things that actually don't cost more. And so I can help dispel the myth that sustainability always costs more. So you can really just stop there. You don't need to be an environmentalist. You don't need to care anything about our planet or the climate. And being more sustainable will benefit your health and your wealth. But we all know we're part of something bigger and that we're connected to this one earth. So being more sustainable is really about our survival on this planet and it's about our children's future. So that's kind of what I mean by soul, which is the third section of the book. I talk about the things that might not have an immediate impact on your health or on your wallet, but they do help us tread more lightly on the planet. And the things to consider here are materials that we purchase. Are they recycled or reclaimed? Are they locally manufactured? Is the wood harvested from a sustainably managed forest? And what happens at the end of its life? Can it be recycled? The second piece under for our soul is landscaping. So things like, do we manage our stormwater in our own you know, backyard? Do we have beneficial plants for bees and butterflies? Do we limit the size of our lawn so we don't need to irrigate and mow it, which takes a lot of resources? And then the final one is the location of your home, which affects your commuting patterns, where you shop, and how active a lifestyle you have. So that's the sustainable home framework. And it's nine pieces of of the pie, which are nine chapters in the book. And in reality, all nine of these things really help us tread more lightly on the planet and conserve resources and waste less. And that, I really think, speaks to our hearts and our emotions and our sense of moral responsibility. 
So true. And I really feel if you tackle a portion of the pie, maybe just a quarter, maybe just three things, I think moving in that direction is just so valuable and kind of usually has that effect where you see that change and therefore you want to push the lifestyle a bit further. Yeah, for sure. It is a lifestyle change and it's sort of a mindset. And that's where I think it it goes, it sort of flows and intersects really well with the organization and KonMari method of it being more of a mindset and a lifestyle. It's not just a methodology. It's sort of, you know, looking at things with a sustainability lens. And it does take a long time, you know, to make your home more sustainable. You can't do everything at once. And, you know, some things like, for example, we're trying to, you know, get off burning fossil fuels. And we had a gas powered dryer and it finally broke and there was no replacement part for it. So that was a good opportunity to switch to an electric dryer. Exactly. So just when that opportunity presents itself, really making that choice through the the angle of figuring out how can we be most sustainable in our thinking and in our materials choices. And you did a great job of describing all the different ways and layers from landscape to air quality to the materials that you choose for your countertop, everything that is involved in this whole idea of creating a sustainable space. Are there any characteristics of a sustainable home that are kind of unexpected or, or less glorified that we might be overlooking? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, when a lot of people think of sustainable homes, they immediately think of solar panels. And then they also right. think, well, I can't do that. I can't afford it. Or I don't have a roof that faces south. Or, you know, it can be a hurdle to just get solar panels. And I would say that's one of the last things you'd look at but it's something that you can see. So there are a lot of elements of a more sustainable home that that you would never see. You know, things like triple pane windows, you can't see that. Ground source heat pumps or electric heat pumps, you don't really see those unless you, you know, go into the mechanical room. One thing that I really like, one of my favorite things for landscaping, if we're, you're getting your yard ready, we have this sort of vision of that everyone needs to have a yard and mowing lawns actually is pretty bad from an emission standpoint. I mean, did you know that an hour of mowing a lawn with a regular, you know, gas-powered mower is the same emissions as 40 cars? Wow. Wow. But if you think about that, that's just kind of disgusting about all the emissions that are going on outside your house and you're breathing that air in. It's coming in through your windows and your screens. And it's not that the lawn is anything not sustainable by itself. It's sort of how you treat it and it's what it could be instead of a lawn. So if you're mowing it and you're irrigating it, those are resources that, you know, might be better used elsewhere. Like you, you can decrease your water usage if you don't have to irrigate a lawn and you can improve your indoor or your outdoor air quality if you don't have to mow it and save, you know, time and money on not having to mow it. So if you can replace even part of your lawn with a wildflower garden of native and adaptive wildflowers, that are drought tolerant and require no irrigation, require, you know, very little maintenance, a little bit of weeding, if any. And they also attract bees and butterflies and they're beautiful. And so, you know, that's sort of a a really beautiful and not too difficult thing to do that makes your home a more sustainable home also. My sister lived in Arizona for many years and I would go visit them and noticed that there were many people in Arizona who 
put in all of the time, energy, money, and resources into having a lawn that really was the complete opposite of what the environment was meant to sustain. So there would be people who either had the green grassy lawn that you were just describing that required mowing and lots and lots of water. And then there would be people who had basically a desert front yard that just maybe a little more manicured and maintained, which of course required a whole lot less energy and resources and really looked a little more natural in that environment. So I do think that that is something that when people are thinking about how they can make changes in their homes, what is the environment more suitable for? And I'm going to assume that the green movement has impacted a lot of the things that you have in your own home and the way that you manage your own life and lifestyle with you and your family. Has the green movement ever intersected in an interesting way with the way that you organize or declutter your home? Yes, for sure it has. I mean, first, I love the intersection of the idea of keeping or buying something based on whether it is useful or beautiful to you. So if something is useful or beautiful, you'll be motivated to take care of it and maintain it and not dispose of it. So that's part of being more sustainable. On the organization side, I I turned to the kitchen for one example. And one way to reduce packaging waste is to buy in bulk. And then, you know, you need to have containers to put your bulk supplies in like rice and flour and legumes And glass jars are a beautiful way to organize your pantry. And then you're also reducing waste. And on the decluttering side, I would say that's one area after I read Marie Kondo's book, I honestly sort of struggled with because what do you do with all of your unwanted things? You know, in in her introduction, I just reread it and she, you know, she said she helped one client throw out 245 liter garbage bags, 200 bags, just she threw them out (laughs) And, you know, throwing them in the garbage is not a very sustainable choice. So if it's still useful at all, just maybe not to you or not to me, but somebody else, I want things to go to someone that would find it useful or beautiful. So I usually try to find places to donate things to like Goodwill or Salvation Army, or I've donated some kids stuff to a local school. And then, you know, you can try and sell it and look to a consignment store or Craigslist or something like that. But then if it's not useful, can it be recycled? Does it need to go to a hazardous waste site? So there's a whole area there that I feel like is still, everyone's still trying to figure out because every city and municipality has different rules about different wastes and you know whether they take recycled goods or not. So usually a quick internet search will help you find a place to take all of your things. But overall, I love the idea that changing your home can change your lifestyle and your perspective and your overall happiness. So it's sort of, you know, it's thrilling to have an empty shelf. It's also thrilling to have, you know, an empty garbage can at the end of the week, or it's really exciting to me anyway, to have a low electric bill, or maybe even have no gas bill. So you're not burning fossil fuels in your home. I think those are great tips. And I love how you talk about that intersection and really get back to the core of it, which is recycling, reducing, reusing, all of these concepts which really run through things like decluttering or making your home more sustainable. And it's something that our listeners definitely feel passionate about and our clients as well, making sure that things we're letting go of find a happy home if one exists 
<laughs> or making sure we recycle when we can. So I love that uh, these two concepts marry so well. And it's all about sustainable living from every aspect, really in the physical sense, in the home, having a stability and sustainability when it comes to our finances and the things we purchase, buying fewer, better things. All of these things are all kind of organically in the same pot here. And with anything that is kind of against the grain or revolutionary or kind of shaking up the way we do things, there can always be a little bit of pushback that we anticipate or a little bit of resistance. Sometimes these things can feel like they could be a bit out of budget or out of reach. So coming from your background of finance and and definitely understanding the true cost of buildings sustainably, could you give our listeners some tips on how we could feel like this is a little bit more in the scope of what we can achieve in our new design or, or renovation? Yeah, sure. I mean, I view it as one of the biggest myths about sustainability is that it costs too much. And it really is not true. There are examples of things that don't cost more, like low flow faucets and toilets don't cost more than regular flow faucets and toilets, and you'll save money on your water bill. Another example is Energy Star rated appliances for like refrigerators and freezers and dishwashers and things like that. They don't cost more upfront and they will save you money on your energy bills. Sometimes it does require more money upfront. I gave the example of triple pane windows or, you know, a better insulation, but it's often only a small percentage higher than, you know, a, a similar product and you'll get much better performance. And if you're building or remodeling and you're borrowing, it can be rolled into the mortgage. And many investments can be cash flow positive from day one because you're saving money every month on your utility bill. So you really just need to look at, you know, what is the incremental cost that you're going to be paying? What are you comparing it to? And then, you know, what will you be saving month after month for as long as you live in the house? And then can that value actually be passed on to the next owner? The question, does it spark joy, is a simple one, but not so easy to execute alone. Extend your tidying experience by joining the Spark Joy Club, our online community filled with our clients, fellow listeners, and Kamari enthusiasts ready to support your journey. If you find yourself buried under clothing, stuck on storage, or pointing fingers at untidy housemates or family members, we want to help you finish your tidying journey once and for all. Support the show at the Joy Riser level and receive access to our exclusive virtual community, as well as the Tidy Home Joy Journal, your number one tidying companion. Visit sparkjoypodcast.com and click on Join the Club to get started. And now back to the show. Well, we have to ask, what is your favorite home improvement tip? (laughs) Um, Well, I already talked about the, you know, limiting the size of your lawn and and making wildflowers there for the bees and butterflies. But, and as you might imagine, it really depends on your values. I mean, that's, you know, going to be what I say to everybody because it depends on what your goals are. For us, our number one goal was, you know, to have a healthy home. And in the book, the first tip is to filter your water. So I say that because 
we get, you know, almost very clean water piped into our kitchens and bathrooms for such a low cost. Do you know how much it costs per gallon of water that comes from your tap? Do you guys know? No idea. Yeah, most people have no idea. I mean, the water bills are pretty incomprehensible in a lot of cities. It's in units that are not gallons. Some of them are. And then there's all these extra fees and charges. But overall, the average cost per gallon of water out of your tap is a half a penny per gallon. So I did a little financial analysis of, you know, if you were to buy the cheapest bottled water, like from Costco, say, and drink eight cups a day, which is kind of the, you know, average recommended daily allowance of water, Uh you would spend about $300 a year on that bottled water. And if you, you know, purchased any other bottled water, it would be a whole lot more than that. That same amount of water, eight cups a day at a half a penny a gallon, costs you less than a dollar a year. Wow. So, I mean, it's a huge difference. So drinking your own water can save you money. And then that doesn't even get to the waste of, you know, freighting bottles of water and then throwing out or even recycling the bottles of water. So... There are so many things that you use water for and you can, you know, purchase concentrated bullion for soups, um, concentrated cleaning solutions or make your own. So you can save a lot of money and really do a lot better for the environment in terms of waste and reducing waste if you use your own water. But for your health, my recommendation is to filter that water. There's an online database, the um, Environmental Working Group. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's ewg.org. They have a national tap water database where you can enter your zip code and it will tell you what kind of contaminants are in your water, in your municipal water. And you can get little water testers to see you know, how much of anything other than pure H2O is in your water. And so I always recommend that to look at your water, get a test, and then filter it for drinking water. I'm fascinated by this. I probably would even test my post-filter water too. Some days, like, is this thing really even working? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We're all spending a bit more time at home these days for the health and safety of ourselves, our family, and our community. Are you feeling a little too close to your clutter for comfort? Maybe you're buried under stuff in the home office or craft space, or you're trying to carve out dedicated space for work or homeschool in your basement or on your dining room table. Or maybe you've noticed just how much time you're wasting looking for important papers and emails instead of shifting your time, energy, and resources towards the things that truly matter. During quarantine, my number one priority is to get as many people as possible clutter-free and prepared for the other side of this challenging season. If you're regularly asking yourself, where should I put this? Or am I letting go of enough? Or am I even doing this right? As you can Mari, a customized virtual tidying experience may be the perfect next step for you. While stay-at-home ordinances are activated, I'm continuing to offer virtual Kanmari-based active tidying lessons, including a tidy desk special, perfect for those working or learning from home. Visit ForTheLoveOfTidy.com and click free consult to discuss the various virtual organizing options available to help you dig out and choose joy. 
once and for all. Well, very interesting. A lot of great tips for our listeners today. And we have to ask, at this very moment, what is sparking the most joy for you? (laughs) What is sparking the most joy for me? Well, I would say the thing that I'm working on right now is decarbonizing our home. And I know that sort of sounds like a mouthful. It's sort of the same thing as making it more efficient, but also electrifying it. So because with climate change, I mean, I really believe we're in a climate change crisis and that, you know, we need to step up and motivate everyone in our nation to, you know, wean off of fossil fuels. And so our primary fossil fuel powered appliances in our home are the stove, the dryer, the heater and hot water heater. So we had, when we first moved in, we experimented with an induction stove. We have a two burner induction stove, and then we were sort of afraid to get rid of the whole gas stove. But we almost exclusively only use the induction stove. It heats up water way faster it's safer. We have kids, you know, there's no flame. And when you turn it on, you know, I've just been learning a whole lot more about when you turn on gas. I mean, one of the byproducts is carbon monoxide. That is a poisonous gas. And if you don't have a good ventilation system, you're breathing in some poisonous gas. It's just not good for you. So it's not only just trying to get off of fossil fuels for climate. It's not wanting to burn it in our own house because it's bad for you. So we have an induction stove and we just replaced our dryer with an electric dryer. I still have to figure out our heater and hot water heater, but we are moving towards electric cars as well. So all of that stuff makes me excited that we can do this in our own home. It's technologically feasible. It's economically viable. Some homeowners in St. Paul, Minnesota, they contribute electricity to the power grid by having a really efficient home and then they have a bunch of solar panels on their roof. And so they use less power than they produce. And so they're returning power to the grid. And that's sort of like the idea of buildings can be of service to our communities is really something I'm excited about. It kind of provides hope for our future. And I'm just excited about helping to transform the whole you know, building industry. Wow, what a beautiful picture you just painted there and so inspiring. All of these things you're doing right at home that can really make a difference long-term. Thank you so much, Melissa, for sharing your thoughts around the green building movement and sparking joy today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I mean, when I first, you know, got your email about, you know, how do you spark joy and how is a sustainable home spark joy? I sort of laugh because sometimes sustainability is not joyful. Like, you you know, when you talk about what we're doing and, you know, the impact buildings have, it's like, oh, it's, it's just like, how is this joyful? But it really helped to get me thinking about, you know, yeah, it does spark joy to be like, we are making a difference and you can make a difference in your own home. And you have a special way for our listeners to make a difference and get more educated about this whole idea of making their home more sustainable. Can you tell us a little bit more about the special offers you've prepared exclusively for SparkJoy listeners? Sure. Well, I have two. One of them is um, my book. It's called Building a Sustainable Home, Practical Green Design Choices for Your Health, Wealth, and Soul. And you don't have to be building new or doing a major remodel to benefit from the book. It really touches on 
so many things about just home ownership and paints and cabinetry and even cleaning supplies. So I think it's beneficial for anyone who owns a home. And then the second one is a half an hour phone call with me. I love doing cost benefit analyses. So for any listener that gets in touch with me from listening to this podcast, I will give them a free half hour phone call that will help them think through a home improvement project that can be more sustainable and that can benefit their health, wealth, and soul. So the caveat is that you let me write about it and share the story so that other people can learn as well. What a beautiful offer. So valuable. And in order to take advantage of those two offers that Melissa just shared, please do email us at contact at sparkjoypodcast.com. Again, that's contact at sparkjoypodcast.com. And the first two listeners to touch base with us will have the choice of either picking up Melissa's book, Building a Sustainable Home, or taking advantage of that lovely offer to have a cost-benefit analysis on your next home improvement project. Thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us here on Spark Joy. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been really nice uh, talking to you. Thank you, Melissa. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and review the show, which helps us reach others along their tidying journeys. To extend your tidying experience, you can join the Spark Joy Club. Visit sparkjoypodcast.com and click join the club to become a member of the Spark Joy community or join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your hosts, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast, is not endorsed by or affiliated with Kamari Media, Inc. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Kamari Media, Inc. or the Kamari Consultant Community.